you get all your apps ready for iOS 14? Fortunately, I didn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was one mess I did not have to get into. I just was watching everybody else's mess. Yeah, exactly. It was just, I felt for people on Twitter because a lot of folks were just kind of like, okay, the new version is coming out tomorrow. And like, it was difficult just to get to the right to GM version and uh, the beta is still, you know, there were issues with submitting to the app store. Yeah. It, I, I don't get it. Do you, do you understand the logic behind it? I don't. Uh, I've, I've made some guesses that they backed themselves into a corner that they wanted to launch with a watch OS seven for the watch. And that meant that they had to update everything in order to get that for Friday. So when they did that, they then said, okay, everyone has to go up to normal. And so we didn't get our normal warning about a GM seat. Why they didn't put the GM seat last week, that's a good question. Or why not just wait and release the watch next week too? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, just a week. It's not like they're asking for a lot of time. So yeah, that's that was really strange. What um I think I think you could get away with like having an app not be updated for a few days, but still like the headache of it is just just crazy. Already in a year with like issues with develop the developer community as is. Yes. It it was stressing a community that's already been stressed. And yeah. we're gonna see I mean, there's lots of subtle errors that are going to start popping up. I've already seen a few with the betas, and I warned ahead to those developers. But, uh, I mean, we're going to see some issues that people are going to now get iOS 14, particularly on the iPad. This is the ones I've seen the worst of, and start to get some bugs that they never expected. Uh, Scribble is going to cause a nightmare and a half, uh, as I can see already. I've seen three apps that where you expect to be able to use a pencil to do a control, they put a text control there. So it, it goes to scribble instead of goes to the text control. It goes yeah. to the actual control. So, I mean, we're going to see things like that. And uh, those kinds of things are going to show up and nobody had really enough warning to know. I got to get, make sure I hit this right. So we're going to get a couple of those. Uh, I've seen one of the ones that I was really frustrated with is and now I'm starting to see bugs from them too, is Niantic. Yeah, I saw your post about Pokemon Go. I'm not surprised. Yeah, Niantic blocked out Pokemon Go from beta developers. Jeez. Uh, and so you totally crashed on a beta. A minute I went to iOS 14, it worked perfectly. <laughs> so they, they, first of all, lost me as a customer because I haven't been able to play, and that's a game that's based on addiction. Right. And if you lose interest, you're not going to go back to it. So right. they lost me as a customer. This isn't a great year to play Pokemon Go anyways. Yeah, it's <laughs> been a bad year. I mean, they made enough. They made plenty of changes to try to get around that. But it's the other side of that is they had the opportunity to get developer instead of user input and say, OK, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong from people who had some clue about what they're talking about and then integrate that into a better thing. They're now getting that there is huge latency issues, which is what the, the posts I've been seeing today, huge latency issues in the new iOS 14 version. And now they're saying, oh, you have to reboot and you have to do this. Go, go read the whole manual and a whole bunch of stuff like that. So, I mean, 
it's going to be handled badly. And yep. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be handling it badly. Yep. Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. I'm the principal software developer at Bright Digit. Today, we have with us Steve Lipton. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Really glad to have you on. We'd been talking this summer about having you on when the new Apple Watch event happens, and uh, you did that fantastic workshop at 360 iDev on Apple Watch development, something I'm passionate about. So I'm really glad to have you on to talk about this subject. I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself and what you do. Hi, I'm Steve, and uh, I am, first of all, a CIO at a medical device company called Scientific Device Laboratories. Uh, I spend most of my iOS time, uh, really working with LinkedIn Learning to do courses for iOS development. I have a weekly tips show on LinkedIn Learning called iOS Developer Tips Weekly. And I have been writing lots of courses. The most popular one right now is, of course, Swift UI Essential Training. And I have updated the Watch OS to Watch OS 7, which is, should be out sometime in October. Uh, so you can see all the new stuff and how to use it. And I write lots of courses. I'm on number 23, I think now, or something like that, of the numbers that I've recorded. So there's been a bunch of them in there. Yeah. So we had a big event this week concerning mostly the Apple Watch. Maybe before we get into the Apple Watch, let's cover the other stuff. We talked already about the release of iOS 14. But we have a new iPad Air. Are you getting a new iPad Air? No, I don't think I'm going to do it this time. What do you have? What kind of iPad do you have right now? I have an iPad Generation 6 and an iPad Pro. I think that's a Generation 2 and a Generation 4 iPad Mini. And I'm using all of them right now. So I don't need another one yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same boat. I got a, I think it's six gen iPad and second gen iPad Pro 12.9. I really like, but yeah, I have no interest. I don't understand the like product line with the iPad right now because like iPad Air is in a weird position and it also puts iPad Pro in an awkward position because technically it has a faster processor. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Because iPad covers so much of the consumption market, like being able to watch stuff. You know, I, iPad Air is sort of like a midline prosumer device, really. Yeah, I, I'm actually surprised. My my big rooting for an iPad was actually my Mini. I would love to see a Mini with a pencil. Oh, so the Mini doesn't support pencil at all? Not, not the ones I've seen have okay. anything to do with pencils so far. I would like to see the most advanced possible thing you can throw in a mini. Minis are not as popular. I know that, but I'm a big fan of the mini. It's super easy to throw in a pocket and hits that space where if I'm going to re be reading a novel or doing some notes, it works a lot better for me to have that around than try and even lug one of the other iPads. How about a larger phone? Because that's kind of where people thought that like, the iPad mini wasn't necessary because of the fact that phone sizes have gotten so much bigger. I have the biggest phone. I've got a pro max okay. and that's still small compared to my mini. I can't draw on my phone, but I can draw on my mini. So it would be something as an artist, that's something that I could do some doodling and some scribbling and get some sketches out that I could then put on some of the other ones. I can't do that on my phone. It's still too small. Yeah. 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 
So let's get into the Apple Watch. We have a new Apple Watch this year, the Series 6. Um, and it seems like the big feature with the Series 6 is blood oxygen. <sighs> I don't get it. Maybe you might have a better explanation of why this is such a hot feature. But it seems like it's more concerned with like wellness necessarily than fitness. What what have you seen as far as the blood oxygen stuff that you think is going to make it such a hot selling point? I think there's two things that are going to come out of this. One, it's always what I, I come back to is Apple has arcs. They have character arcs just like uh, a story has arcs. This is another step on that arc for the real holy grail. That real holy grail is going to be blood sugar. This is another way of figuring out by blood color what your health is. Eventually, you're going to be able to do this, hopefully, to blood sugar, and that brings in the whole diabetic market. Yeah, oh, yeah. That I definitely, I could see that. Hey, folks, I wanted to let you know about the host of our podcast, Transistor FM. Transistor has been an awesome podcast host for the last two years I've used it. And what I really like about it is all the great features it offers people who want to really run a professional podcast. I love the automated integrations with Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, MailChimp, etc. They offer really great analytics, which I use quite frequently. And they have updated their UI to look fantastic and be usable on the iPad as well. One thing I've been thinking about lately with a lot of the stuff in the news is the importance of running a independent podcast. We all know about stories about YouTubers and app developers running into issues with all sorts of gatekeepers. And one of the places where we have that kind of independence is in podcasting. Unfortunately, there's some hosts which can have an inordinate amount of uh, control over your podcast and act like a gatekeeper like many of some of these other companies that we've been hearing about lately. Things like ad insertion or control over how your podcast is published and broadcasted, things like that, that if you're running a professional podcast is uh, either risky or can lower the quality of your show. Something about Transistor is that you own the podcast, it is yours, and you have that complete independence. It works on multiple platforms, so you're not locked down to someone like Spotify, for instance. You have a completely open RSS feed, but also they have a lot of tools to help you run a professional podcast as well, like the analytics, but also things like being able to have a private RSS link if you want to run some sort of uh, membership uh service along with your podcast as well, or you want to be able to only allow certain people to listen to your show, which I think is awesome and a really great feature. So again, I highly recommend checking Transistor out. Let them know you heard about Transistor from us. Go to the link in the show notes below to give Transistor a try today for 14 days. So you think it's the same idea of like, Using machine learning based on blood color to figure out, like, yeah. essentially blood sugar. Yeah, they're getting they're getting close to it, and that's what they're trying. I think that's what they're trying to do. They got a huge number of patents for some kind of technology that was like that, right? A while back in 2018. So this is something that they're. I think they're working on that. The diabetic side of it, the blood sugar side of it, it needs a lot more testing. Is going to probably not going to be able to go 
through FDA as a de novio, which is a new technology permission from FDA. So they're going to have to go through the whole range of things. So that's going to take longer. The other side of blood O2, there's a lot of good uses for blood O2. Some of the studies they were mentioning, because they're now doing a whole bunch of studies to get hard data about what's going to be done. And they mentioned that in the event, the big one is going to be asthma. People with asthma will get an early warning sign of a possible attack of asthma because their blood O2 will go down. And so they'll be able to watch for those kinds of alerts and get to their inhaler before they start to have an episode. So, I mean, those people are going to be using it to, to an extent. I think the most exciting one of the one of the ones that we're talking about is looking at not using temperature, which is horribly unreliable for telling you if you're going to be getting sick and go to blood O2 for looking if you're getting sick. Because if you're having a respiratory illness, it may start to change your normal blood O2 far before you see any other symptoms. Because I would assume like symptoms like temperature are more based on the immune response than necessarily like you yeah. getting sick. Okay, that makes sense. So you're actually looking at what it's functionally changing. And that's something they, they had. A, that was one of the studies they were talking about. That study is going to be very interesting if we can move to more of a blood O2. If you go in the hospital, one of the first things they'll be doing after they pop an IV in you is they will be watching blood O2. They'll be watching pulse and the pulse oximetry, which is the blood O2, and they'll put this thing on your finger. Right, that's what I was going to say. It's the thing on the finger when you Yeah, it's the thing on the finger. And and they watch that really carefully because that tells them a lot about what's going on in the lungs uh, without a lot of invasiveness. Now, I don't think we have anything as developers available to us uh, as far as blood O2 right now. Well, I guess... You'd have HealthKit, but I don't know if that's like those specific sensors are going to be available through HealthKit necessarily. Do you know? Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked because they just popped this in and I haven't loaded the GMC yet. But I suspect that you'll be able to look at the data because I can see the data on the health app. Right. And that's essentially what we see uh, as developers. So we'll be seeing the data. We won't be able to get to the actual sensors, but we'll be able to see the, the data itself. Right. And then start tracking that. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be ways of tracking it. I mean, there's probably going to be in their survey systems ways of doing it. We can probably work backwards from that. Yeah, I I, I would imagine if it's essentially going to be available like through a HealthKit query of some sort, right? And then you could you could access it that way, which is pretty pretty sweet. So I'm wondering, like, what would be the difference between? Is there anything special as far as the developers concerned with Series Six and how you access that through HealthKit as opposed to what's available to us, like on a standard older Apple Watch? So yeah, that'll be really interesting to see and how much they open that up. It's going to be interesting to see that opening it up, uh, how it's going to be playing into some of the other places that you may be using it. Uh, they talked a lot about VO2 Max, which they upped the range in Watch OS 7 in iOS 14, where you'll be able to see some of the other performance stats, where they're going to start playing with the adding the Blood O2 with the VO2 Max to get your cardiac rates even more, your cardiopulmonary rates, I should say to figure out what your overall fitness is, where that's going to go and where other developers, where developers can play with that is going to be interesting. 
but like I said, I haven't looked yet, so I don't, I'm not 100% sure what's going to go on with that. Could you briefly explain exactly what VO2 max is as opposed to blood oxygen? Essentially, VO2 max, it's another measure of fitness. Very often, you will see it involved with treadmill uh, cardiac tests. Okay. And what they do, this is where I usually see people do it. VO2 max, the most accurate way of doing it is they will be taking your heart rate and other information, your breathing rates and stuff like that on a treadmill. And they'll stre- and during a stress test, they'll pull that all the way up as far as they can to figure out what your upper limit is. As far as how much oxygen you can hold in your How much blood. oxygen and how, and how far your breath is going. Right. And at that point, that gives you some idea of your fitness. Now, that's actually changing as you're doing things about how much this combination comes into play. Yeah, it's the maximal oxygen consumption. And it's really based on endurance fitness. But what a lot of people do is they start using VO2 max as an idea of how healthy you are because you're going to have an idea of your cardiorespiratory fitness based on the VO2 max. And I was looking to see if I could find a scale for it about where people are supposed to go. I do not see one easily findable, so I won't be able to say that, tell you that. But yeah, you can look in some of the health journals and stuff about where those numbers are supposed to be. Yeah, I'm just reading Wikipedia. Apparently, like athletes typically have like a 80 uh, milliliters per kilogram. So like that would obviously be like very healthy. Right. So, you know, I don't know what the typical VO2 max would be for someone, but then that makes sense. And I, I understand what you mean by like a stress test and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, just so I can give you some idea, it's been there for a while. If you get too low, then you've got an issue. That's what the big thing that the change in, in iOS 14 is all about is if you get too low, then you're probably going to having some problems and you may want to go see a doctor about them. Yeah. While I was seriously training here, I have a good example here. So December's 2017, I'm just going to give one of my numbers to give you an idea. I was in the middle of training for the uh, Disney Marathon. Uh, so I was about ready to, to run the marathon, which I ran in 2018, uh, in January 2018. And my, my VO2 max was 38.6. As I've been sitting around, so I'll give you my number just as COVID started, and I didn't get to do anything. It dropped down to 31. So I started to lose my fitness over that period of time. Okay. Okay. So it's a good way of say, oh, your fitness is not being as good as you can. And you can watch trends. I mean, they got the usual trend type stuff. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's interesting talking about story arcs, how much they've basically like lean into the whole fitness and health thing. Like it's not a, I don't want to say it's like a 180, but it's like a big shift from where the Apple Watch used to be uh, when it first debuted five years ago. So they just, they keep going in that direction as far as health and fitness are concerned. I think that's really, when you look at the wearables market in general, I mean, they are dominating it, but if you look at the wearables market in general before and after the Apple Watch came out, those are the people who are going to be using wearables. Uh, You get the fashion a little bit first. And I I really thought about this even when the first Apple Watches came out uh, and I got a generation one literally to run with it. Mm -hmm. And I had a Nike watch that had a GPS in it. Uh, I didn't have the GPS in the first versions of my Apple Watch. 
but I had it in the phone and I just ran with my phone, but it worked really well between the phone GPS and my watch. I was able to get the data I needed and it did a better job than I had with the Nike watch. Yeah, I, I had the same exact watch too. I had the Nike, it was like a Nike plus watch with the GPS on it. And then, yeah, I got the Apple watch and it was like, I was in the same boat. I got the series zero and then the series one. And it's like, yeah, I had to carry my phone around and everything. And like, they've, they've kept making it better and better to the point where like, I don't think Nike makes that watch. I think they essentially like, they have their own Apple watch essentially uh, that you can buy with, with a custom watch face. And that's like their way of selling that watch now. Yeah, I think that's pretty much where they've gone. And I think what Apple was doing is they saw it in that first bunch and they were pretty clear, I think, even back then, they knew the health market was going to be big. And they kept figuring out, here's a great place to stick some sensors that you can't stick elsewhere. And the question becomes, first of all, how do you put those sensors in? How do you communicate with those sensors? I think the early watches, the bigger question was, trying to get a communication between the watch and the phone was crap. Yes. Yeah. And now we've gotten to a point where it seems like they're willing to use more of the Wi-Fi and kind of just depend on the internet for communicating with the phone as opposed to like directly communicating through Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or whatever it tries to use with watch connectivity. Yeah. They're doing a lot of things. I was very interested, not I'm interested in as, as a, as a product and service, but I'm more interested in the Apple Fitness Plus of what they're doing with the watch, uh, where you're going to get some real-time data from your watch directly to your other devices. It's going If it's an Apple TV or your phone or your iPad, it's going to be putting your stats from your watch directly on the screen as you're watching your workout. Right. Um, which is saying how well the communication has been Compared to when I recorded um, my watch OS, I think it was watch OS four course, uh, you usually had to wait five seconds before you got some something from the watch to the phone. That's a big difference. Yeah, that is a big difference. Um, and it seems that, like I'm curious where watch connectivity is going to be. Um, well, let's let's talk a bit about family setup. That was a big deal that they brought up. Um, it's a feature as a parent I'm interested in, not necessarily now, but it's really interesting how we're making the watch more and more independent. And it seems yes. like this is the first kind of like them testing the waters of making the watch more independent. I feel like the cell connection was first. And then this, um, obviously this requires a cell connection, which I find really interesting to me. Like as a parent though, the expense of buying a watch and <laughs> the responsibility of my children at the age they're at kind of makes me not interested in doing it now. But I think at some point, I think as a hand me down, I would be interested in maybe, you know, handing down one of my Apple watches once they get old enough to where I feel like they can actually carry that around. But that, that seems really cool. Like that they're kind of, and quite frankly, Apple is not like very key. I don't want to, I don't know how to put it. Apple seems a bit 
uh, ignorant of how their software is not an ideal fit for families in a lot of ways compared to some other companies uh, that do. And so, you know, this isn't ideal, but it's definitely a good first step if you're a parent and you want to know where your kid is and being able to contact them. Yeah, I I think where you're going with uh, has been one of the sore points with Apple. Uh, I know there were some developers that ran into some trouble in trying to get apps to work with family type situations. And I think this is a response to that. But, you know, I, I see a couple of things that are important for developers along the way is we really start have to thinking about independent watch apps. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and we can't think of going the traditional route. Anything, anything new has got to be an independent watch app if you want to be using the family type situations because it's not going to sell. It's There's going to be the markets for things are going to be the kids if this works along with the parents. And again, as the, as they mentioned in the, in the event, the more important one for me is not the kids. It's the mom and dads. Right. It's the fall protection that you get some notification about the fall protection that if you've got someone who's not all there yet or not all there anymore. Right. Those issues I think are going to be even more important for this than the kids. They didn't, they were trying to be sensitive to that by not by glossing over it more. But I think having, having better control over the fall issues and all those things where you can make sure that mom or grandma get to where they need to go, I think is even more important than necessarily the kids. I mean, people think the emotional side of it is people think about the kids, but having to deal with a parent or grandparent who is not completely mobile and may not be completely in control of their faculties anymore. I think this is going to be a bigger issue for them than it is even for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, hopefully being able to convince them to keep the watch on, I think, is really important. Yeah, I think that was one thing some of the developers I noticed on Twitter were saying is like it is basically a requirement for your app to be independent in order to work on one of these family setup situations. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you kind of it's not going to work. I've built an independent I have hard Twitch, which I've built. That's an independent watch app. It's not hard to do really to make sure that your watch is independent. The container situation is a little bit strange, but yeah, it should be like every watch app should essentially be able to be independent at this point in 2020. Yeah, I, I would agree. There are a few places where I see that you really need some connection for some things. If you have a phone app, for example, that really is just having the watch as an accessory of the phone app, there might be somewhere where you want to continue to use it. Uh, some of my workout apps, for example, fall into that category. Or sometimes when, you know, camera is a great example of another one where you're going to have it. That right. Way. There you go. Is is the remote for the camera on your watch is only going to be a remote. There's not much more it can do. There is no, at least not yet, any forward facing camera on your on your watch. So you're not taking selfies with your watch. You're taking selfies with your phone. Right. Yep. So with the family setup. Uh, they require a series for a newer with LTE connection. And so part of their way to um, kind of make a cheaper device, they can hopefully sell 
to kids or families. Essentially, we have the new Apple watch SE, um, which I find really interesting. And then on top of it, they're still selling the series three, which is not compatible with family setup, which I find really strange exactly why they're, they're still selling the series three because for developers, first of all, you have a whole display class now that you still have to support. And then on top of it, it's not going to even work if you try to do family setup. So I find that really weird. I almost feel like they should just stop selling the series three and just sell the SE and the series six. I don't quite understand it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have no idea why they're picked the series three. There's like three things that I could think of about the series three that make it not the best option for the next watch that you want to use. I mean, the biggest one is the complications. I mean, the complications change from Series 3 to Series 4. So you've got all the new watch faces, all of the complications that are around a watch, all the color ones. That all started with Series 4 and later. Series 3 doesn't have those. So you're missing out on tons of the watch faces that could be on this watch. So people are watching that video uh, from the event and see, oh, I could put on... You know, uh, I have the I have the uh, which one do I have now on now? Uh, one of the timer ones, the uh, the new timer one. And they can't get it on a series three. And then on top of it, like, what is the next cheap? If you're going to get a smartwatch, not an Apple watch, what would be like the next cheapest watch to a series three? Like is a Fitbit like are there like a hundred dollar smartwatches or what? Like, yeah, I think there's things I haven't looked in a long time. But I think there's in the Fitbit range, I think there's a few that are below that. Okay. And I think there's some that are above that. Like, I don't understand. I think the that's pricing. in the range. Yeah, because it's like the Series 3 is 200 bucks, which is still very expensive for somebody who's not willing to spend that kind of money. And then you go to the SE and then you got it's another $80 for the SE. But then you also need to spend another $120 or $130 to make it work with family setup because you need the cell connection. And it's like the, the pricing, the pricing doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And obviously Apple's really good at pricing. So maybe I shouldn't say that, but like it, it, it seems like you either go, you make the SE really affordable or, and you drop the, the series three and it would make a lot more sense. Um, and have a much more coherent line or make the series three really cheap um, rather than just 200 bucks. Cause that isn't, that just isn't like necessarily cheap enough almost to me be worthwhile. And I understand like they're trying to saturate the market. And I think that's partly partially part of it. Maybe. I think the series three solves a problem that Apple can run into. People have always said they don't have a really good low end. I think if I look at my phone from a distance, I can tell that I have an iPhone or an Android phone. It's usually relatively easy to tell. It's getting harder with my current one. If you're not, if you're looking at it from the front, if you're looking at it from the back, all that, that huge camera array says everything. Mm -hmm. But so, but you can tell from a phone. So for status reasons, I think it's purely for social proof reasons. Okay. If you look at an Apple Watch, an Apple Watch will always look like an Apple Watch. It doesn't look like anybody else's watch. It's very unique in its shape as far as watches that are out there. And I think if you want to say, oh, I'm cool because I have an Apple Watch, Watch 3 works for that particular purpose. And so they're leaving it in for that purpose as purely status. I don't think functionally it's a great watch anymore. I mean, I just 
move from an my my it's sitting over here on my on my counter here. I just moved to a to a watch five a couple of months ago, and the difference between this watch and that watch is amazing. And I would never want to go back to that watch. It did a good job for what it was doing, but when I wanted to add more complications, which was the biggest reason I needed it, it fails. It does not have the ability to do color. So all the color complications aren't there. It means that all the new stuff we can do with Swift UI complications can't happen. And that's going to be the next stage about what the other big new next stage that Apple is going to be playing with uh, has to do with those complications. So let's start getting into it and talking about all the new changes in watchOS 7 and specifically complications. You did that workshop uh, that I went to this summer on building complications. What's your thought about now this introduction of Swift UI into the um, watch face, essentially? I think there's, again, it's one of those character arcs that we're talking about. It's one of the most complained about character arcs there is on the Apple Watch is customizing your watch face. We are about four Swift UI views away from a completely customized watch face. Right. And this, yeah. this is the next step in doing that is the two things that are added to watch OS seven. One is that you can share your watch face. Two is the kinds of complications you can put on there. And so we've got new complications that are completely swift UI views. Um, and you get a nice little rectangle and you can put whatever you want in there as long as it isn't interactive. So as long as there's no buttons or sliders or anything like that, or gestures of any kind, you can put whatever you want in that spot, which is amazing. And we've got those complications. We have ones where you're able to customize some of the templates they already have with Swift UI. And with those pieces coming into play, plus you can have more than one complication for a given app. So you can have one complication that might be that big Swift UI one that's doing all the data that you need to do or showing you where where on a map and your stages for your pizza delivery or something like that. But underneath that, you might have an order button for the pizza. You could build your own watch face with three or four complications, save it, email it to your customers who have an Apple Watch. They can then get the app for it and all the, and all the parts of that. And then they can start using that face for doing all your stuff that you have for your app it makes you know you get five or six buttons that you can use for your app right on your watch face now some people may customize that again and say oh i don't need that button i can put that button for something else like say you know i'd always put my battery because i was like i'm always paranoid about my battery mm -hmm. but um we're seeing a movement more and more towards that customization. And I found one of the most interesting of those was the stripes. And I don't know if you've played yet with the stripes watch face yet. Not really. I, so here's, here's kind of my deal is I, I like having a watch face with a lot of information on there. Yeah, me too. And I look at some of these like art, the, the new, um, 
the one with the face face, right? Yeah. You got that, you got stripes, all those. And it's like, why would I have one of those if I can't see the weather or I can't see like my calendar? Like, that's why I look at my watch is because I want to look at like whatever I'm trying to keep track of throughout the day. Um, so like, while I think these watch faces really look nice, it feels a little bit like disconnected from Apple that they make these beautiful watch faces, but they have like so actual little information. And it's like, I, I understand for fashion purposes why you do that, but like, it, can't they make one that's like, at least has like two or three complications on it. So I can like have something nice looking while at the same time being able to see what's going on. I think what they're doing, particularly with stripes is those are experiments in how you can build with clock kit. It's the parts of clock kit we haven't seen yet. Okay. Which I expect to see in watch OS eight, maybe nine, because if you look at stripes, if you actually play with it, I wouldn't wear it either. I mean, I'm a, I'm an infograph person to say the least. If I don't have six complications on my watch, I'm not, I'm not happy. Right. But for me, what I saw as I play with those, the, the art one. Yeah. Great. That's a nice art thing. That's, that might be fun. Memoji might be cute, but it's only got a very small complication on it that you can put the date or one line of text, actually two lines of text. And that stripe ones though, you're changing the entire background. You're saying how many stripes you want and what colors you want those stripes. Now, you're using selections if you look at it on the watch. I mean, if you look on the watch app, mm -hmm. but you're actually changing backgrounds. And that's obviously not a very hard Swift UI thing to do. If you know enough about Swift UI to know that you've got a stack, you're saying how big the stack is, and you're putting in a color index. And then you just run it through a color. And then you just say, okay, I've got those four colors. I'll pop that out. That's not hard, but that gives me the indication that being able to change the background is something they're experimenting with. They'll see how other, how the customers, the users will be looking at it. And then they can say, okay, that technology worked next WWDC. will say, Hey, you can start changing the backgrounds. Yeah, there you go. That might be something we'll see in watch OS eight is like changing backgrounds. And then. Yeah, and then watch OS 9, like, really opening up clock kit. I mean, there's only four things that are missing. The backgrounds, the hands, which, again, is a very small view, is just actually three views. And all you're doing is you're changing the graphic in the view of the three hands. Uh, you decide if you're going to have a second hand, but you're going to have the other two hands. So those are not that hard to actually think about. Those could be can be very simple views a template for the complications and the dial. And that's it. I mean, you might have a digital version, which would be another thing that you'd be throwing in there of how to do it, mm -hmm. but you'd have, they probably still stick with some kind of template where you would put a dial with a certain number of complications. And you know what? Most of these still look like either utilitarian or infograph. There's only still the four major types of watch faces still there. Right. There's not that huge a difference between them. Right. Those four templates, the hands, colors of hands or images of hands. And that's it. Yep. We're not that far from custom watches. So we'll probably get custom watches, but it seems like 
one of the big limitations. And what I'm really interested to see is what comes out of the reviews for the Series 6 is it seems like this, there's still limitations as far as like how much you can use the network, but also like how much an app can use the battery. Because like from what I've seen is like apps can be pretty aggressively shut down. I don't know how much that's changed in OS 7 necessarily, but it seems like that's one of the limitations of building an app for the watch is the fact that the battery is so limited. Do you think... Do you think with Watch OS 7 and Series 6, it might be time to start thinking about building a watch app or building a companion watch app for your iPhone app? I really, it's one of those things where it really depends on the app. I don't think everyone should be making a watch app. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that is totally worthless for a watch app. In fact, I think there's a lot of watch apps that you don't even need the app. I think the bigger issue is whether you're going to have a complication or not. I think it's 50-50 about how many times people really need an app and how many times people need a complication. Um, I think the apps themselves may be nothing more than the platform for the complications. Because a lot of what I'm seeing when I use my own watch and when I see other people use their watch is they're not interacting with the watch. I mean, when I did that summer course, for example, I made an order form on a watch to order a pizza. In reality, that's not something that people will be doing is sitting there scrolling away, trying to hit buttons. And I find that's not something that's a very good use of that small amount of real estate. They'll do that on their phones. Instead, what they'll do is they would like to look at their watch and know when, when the delivery time is going to be. Yeah, exactly. You're not. And I think that's one of the problems that is true about the watch right now is a lot of people are still app centered. And really, the watch is really complication centered. And we're moving in that direction where it's whatever you see on your watch face is what you're really going to do. I rarely dive into my watch to do things. The fitness apps are one of the few places where I will actually dive into my watch to do something. Uh, my meditation app to start my meditation timer. Why that particular company doesn't put a complication, I don't know. But that's one of those places I would love a complication where I could just push the button and it goes right into that. Or that you're app. doing like any, like you said, any sort of health tracking, like, right. Like for my app, um, hard Twitch doesn't have a complication because all I'm really doing is using the watch as a sensor. Like I'm not really, there's nothing you're right. tracking of, uh, actively per se. So like, yeah, I don't know how you'd get away with having something that's just a complication without an app at some point you like, you're going to need a way to interact with the complication in order to like, like when you tap on a complication, it should open up the app. That just makes total sense. So it'd be hard for me to ever see Apple say, Hey, you can build an app without an app. That's just a complication. I, I agree with that. I think the app is really a base for a complication for many apps, for many situations. I think there are apps that need to be apps. And when they're actively working with sensors, I think that's totally true. The ECG is another good example of that. The only thing the complication will ever do is launch it. Right. 
But for many apps, we need to, what I'm saying is we want to be looking at complications as valuable as apps. Mm -hmm. We're not necessarily going to be building an app. We're going to be building complications that give us information on our watch face. The app may either launch something else, namely something that might be on the phone, and there has to be better communication between them to launch it on the phone. or it may be something that you're going to be using onboard sensors to do something. I don't see the kinds of apps that you would see on a phone ever work well on a watch. I think that's been the biggest weakness of, of watch OS development. Cause I've noticed that watch OS does not get the kind of hits on my courses as I'd get on iPhone courses and where they die off in Watching the courses is very interesting. It's like, okay, I don't see where this would go because it's not the right environment for a lot of kinds of apps. The phone is a better place. What do you think would be like your biggest takeaway or lesson you would have for an iOS developer, especially especially like a manager or a CTO who's thinking like, I'm going to build an iPhone app where they should start thinking, hey, maybe this needs a watch OS companion. I would say the places where you would see a good watchOS companion is one, something that you're going to be using sensors or timing directly on your watch. So that would be the direct types of uses for a watch itself. The other place I would see it, and you can say something like, uh, I'll pick on ESPN as a good example where you have data that's getting pushed to the watch from your servers so that people have certain information. So be it news or sports or weather or things like that, those kinds of things where people are really interested in seeing it right now on the second where they don't want to even open their phone to see it. That's the places you want to be using the watch. And I think secondary, we haven't mentioned this yet, but secondary to complications are notifications. Um, yes. Because that's another way that you're going to be able to engage with your customer and your user. And besides complications is whatever complex notifications you might show up on the watch. Cause that's the other way they're going to, they're going to take notice of you. Yes. And that's something that's very important. I, I did not get in there. And I thank you for bringing that up because notifications also has been super enhanced with Swift UI. So we're starting, we're going to start to see with those a lot more of the interactivity, even in the notification uh, to do certain things. You can put real buttons in, not just the few that you could do it with WatchKit. You could do whatever you really wanted. And you could start to put into those situations uh, more interaction as you're giving those notifications. So, yeah, I see that is definitely something that's going to come up, too, is pop up on the screen. Hey, this is now done. Your pizza's on its way, whatever it may be. Yeah, definitely. So before we close out, is there anything you wanted to mention as far as the future of the Apple Watch or just developing on the Apple Watch in general or what you think? Um, what do you think Apple has really done this year and where do you think they're headed? I still think it's a transitional year. Um, I think we got a huge head blow last year with SwiftUI. This year, 
Swift UI is starting to settle in. I think with the watch in particular, it's now one of those things where you really should consider Swift UI if you're making something new, you don't have any legacy issues, that Swift UI will will start to dominate the watch development market because it is so much easier than the option, the alternative. And you could totally uh, tell that's where Swift UI started. Um, yeah, I it mean, was out of the and, watch team. Yeah, it was, I mean, starting with stacks. I mean, I brought it up in one of my other talks that I did recently is we started with stacks, what we now have H-stack, V-stack, and, and Z-stack. We started that with the watch because the watch was not going to be able to handle a full Xcode storyboard. And a lot of the stuff that you see in the watch makes total sense in terms of Swift UI. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Steve. It was really great to have you on and talk about the Apple Watch. Thank you. It was good being here. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at uh, on LinkedIn, and you can just look for Stephen Lipton. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, and that would be at Steve underscore Lipton. And you can also write me at uh, Steve at makeappie.com. Thank you so much. Folks can find me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. My company is Bright Digit. Please take some time to go to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or uh, if I can get it posted soon enough, Amazon. Uh, just did that today. I would love some reviews on there and uh, feel free to DM and share this on Twitter if you have any questions or comments about the show. Thank you again, and we look forward to talking to you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.